Hello, you are listening to Nudge with me, Phil Agnew. Now, everyone listening will know that our environment is under threat. The effects of climate change are already having devastating impacts on the planet. 2020 was the hottest year on record, according to NASA. Pollution warms our planet, spoils our drinking water, destroys our soil and ultimately harms our health. Despite considerable effort from communities and organisations across the world, a global solution to climate change has been hard to find. Currently, it sort of looks like we're fighting a losing battle, behind on targets and unable to stop temperatures rising. One of the reasons is that most governmental reforms are intended to curb climate change with top-down regulations, like mandated reductions in carbon. What's increasingly obvious, though, is that more is needed. To halt climate change, an individual's behaviour will have to change as well. Two-thirds of climate emissions come from within our own homes, which is where nudging comes in. Over the past years, nudging has become a mainstream tool in several environmental sectors, including energy use, waste handling and resource efficiency. It's an effective method for changing behaviour, but can it really stop climate change? The podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C pod brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C pod is a podcast all about all the things direct to consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So listen to D2C Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com service to do more for your customers today. Now, we're not short of examples of where nudges have encouraged climate-friendly behaviour. Studies cited in the Nordic report on nudging for pro-environmental behaviour found that making changes in the default options can increase uptake of green energy supply. And providing real-time information by using, for instance, in-house smart meters to display energy usage can reduce peak consumption. There was a famous 2007 study that gave customers an ambient orb that glowed red when energy use was high and green when it was modest. Customers provided with this orb reduced their peak period energy use by 40%. Personally, I'm sold. I feel confident that nudges can and should be used to change environmental behaviour. So I invited Liz Costa back on the show to tell us more. 
Liz is Senior Director at the Behavioural Insights team. She's written extensively about pro-environmental behaviour change. And to kick off today's show, I asked her if she thinks nudges can be used to solve climate change. So the short answer is yes, it, it is definitely something we can do. So, um, you know, the recent report from the Committee on Climate Change identified that over 60% of the actions that are required to achieve net zero also require behaviour change um, in some form. So this is this is certainly a behavioural challenge and a behavioural problem. So I think that there's really you know, a few different levels of behavioural intervention. And one is the direct actions that people can take to use less energy or consume in a more sustainable way. So those are things like installing heat pumps in their homes, purchasing an electric vehicle, eating less red meat. Um, And I think in each of those, you know, these are discrete individual behaviours and a behavioural approach to encourage those changes uh, has a lot of value and efficacy. But if we think about the world as it is now, you know, it's it's not geared towards living a, a low carbon lifestyle. You know, the the context in which we're all operating is, you know, a highly fossil fuel reliant, energy intensive uh, world. And so while I think, you know, you can nudge those types of behaviours, what we're really doing is, you know, asking people to swim harder in a river where the current is flowing against them. And we can and should do that, but I don't think we'll get to net zero with only that approach. This is right, of course. Nudges alone won't solve the problem. Climate change is arguably the toughest global challenge we will face. We'd be wrong to think that a few low-cost nudges can do the trick. They need to be balanced and backed up by policy change that forces behaviour. Some nudges, and of course, some shoves. But it's not just nudges that behaviour science can use to impact change. And here's Liz highlighting that point. Behavioural science has a lot more to offer than those discrete nudges. And I think that there is a lot of value in thinking about how we can create a choice environment that enables low carbon choices um, and makes it as easy as possible to behave and make choices that are in line with net zero. We've done this across lots of policy areas. So if we think about pensions, for example, um, you know, we know that there are a lot of behavioural barriers to saving for retirement, um, you know, present bias being chief amongst them. And the switch in default in pensions in the UK um, to an opt-out system rather than an opt-in system led to more than 8 million people newly saving. And those pension defaults have been extremely sticky, even as savings rates have ratcheted up over the years. And, you know, there's many aspects of environmental behaviours where we can take a similar behavioural approach to create that choice environment that makes low carbon behaviours the default, um, makes them the easy choice. So recently there was some great study done in Switzerland um, where they looked at two Swiss energy suppliers who changed their default offering to renewable energy only. And before this switch, only 3% of these energy suppliers' customers 
um, which included households and businesses. Only 3% of them were on purely renewable energy. And after this switch in the default, it rose to 80 to 90% of those customers. And, you know, this was something that affected more than 200,000 households, 9,000 businesses. And it's also very sticky. So four years after this research was done, uh, still 80% of those customers were still on the green tariffs. So you can see that's just one example, but I think there are many opportunities for behavioural interventions like that, which seek to really change the environment in which we're making these choices and make net zero, low carbon behaviours the norm um, and make them easy. Four years ago, Cape Town was on the verge of running out of water. They were facing the city's worst drought on record. Despite the municipal government implementing a number of measures to try and get its 4.7 million residents to cut down on their water consumption, more than 60% of Cape Townians were still ignoring the call to action. The city then introduced restrictions on the amount of water each resident was allowed to use per day. They dialed down water pressure, hiked up tariffs, introduced fines and installed water restriction devices at households who weren't complying. But... Despite all those shoves, consumption rates were still high. That finally changed in 2018. In January, the government launched a city-wide water-saving campaign underpinned by behavioural science and in particular social norms. One of the most impactful nudges was the publication of the names and addresses of the top water savers on the city's website. Those targeted with this message and this was for a mix of demographics, they reduced their water use by 1.9%. The government rolled this out further with an online water map that acknowledged households that were achieving water-saving targets, and essentially, if a household reached that target, it was rewarded with a green symbol displayed on their property. In addition, smart water meters across 345 schools in Western Cape turned water conservation into a competition between schools. Schools were given a weekly report card on their water usage. Overall, these interventions had a huge effect. Depending on the metrics you look at, they led to between a 15 to 26% reduction in water usage. This is classic social norm stuff, highlighting that saving water is normal behaviour, that other people do it, and that you may be doing it better than others is a surefire way to encourage behaviour change. However, Cape Town's government may not have even tried that nudge if it wasn't for the original study that highlighted the impact of this effect. I asked Liz to talk through that original study on social norms and cutting energy use. So the intervention in OPower was to give people feedback on their energy bills. And that feedback took the form of um, how much energy that household was using compared to their neighbours and particularly compared to their most efficient neighbours. And if their energy consumption was lower, they got a smiley face. Um, and if it was much higher, they got a frown. Um, and what we saw across multiple cultures um, and replications was that this led to an average of around 2% reduction in household energy use. It is also a very sticky intervention. So you see that that energy use reduction persists over time. Um, and even if you take the feedback away, 
you get a smaller effect size, but you do you do still get um, a reduction in overall energy use, even if you stop giving that feedback. Um, and it's been a really nice experiment because uh, it has also been translated to different cultures. Um, in Japan, uh, the, one of the energy companies there has run this experiment, but instead of smiley faces, um, you know, they've used Japanese manga characters to convey this to households, which I think is a really nice cultural twist on the experiment. What I think is great about this study is that it's low cost. In reality, this change probably doesn't cost energy companies anything. In fact, it probably saves them money. Many effective nudges don't cost anything at all. One study conducted in Mumbai found that water usage halved when restaurants began serving half glasses of water after they found that patrons were only taking a few sips and throwing the rest away. Similarly, a US study found food wastage was reduced in school canteens when plastic trays used to carry food were removed, forcing people to carry plates with their hands. These small changes can really have a big impact. But what would Liz choose? If she could pick, what would be the one change she would like to see in the world to nudge people towards better environmental decisions? Look, one of the things that I'm most passionate about, um, you know, bringing together the work I've done on financial behaviour and environmental behaviour is the potential to um, shift people's pensions choices. So particularly, you know, in the UK, there's around three trillion pounds of assets under management in pension funds. Um, you know, that's absolutely enormous. It's about the equivalent of the annual GDP of the UK. And, you know, there's enormous power in how that how those funds are invested. And, you know, the, at the moment, a small minority of those funds are in environmental social governance funds or ESG funds. And I think if we could prompt more people to either switch to an ESG fund or move to a world where we were encouraging pension providers to compete for customers on the basis of how good their ESG fund is and potentially even making the ESG fund the default, I think we can really shift the axis of how funds are invested in the UK you know, how much capital and investment is going into things like renewable energy, electric vehicle technology. And I think change at that scale could really be a major driver of net zero, not just in the UK, but across across the world, particularly in countries where, you know, there are large-scale pension investments. So Australia, the US, um, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of Western economies. So I'd love to do more on that. Uh, if there's anyone listening who works for a pension fund um, or is interested in this, I'd, I'd love to talk to you. Okay, that is all we have time for today. Now, to get in touch with Liz directly, you can reach out to her on Twitter. She's at Liz, that's L-I-S underscore Costa. I've left a link to her account in the show notes so you can find it there. And if you've been inspired by this episode and really want to make a change to your behaviour, then you could try or consider using REN. REN is a service to offset your climate emissions. Now, REN's an online service. It helps you calculate your carbon footprint and then offset it for a monthly subscription. 
With many of us starting to travel again, this sort of COVID restrictions ease, we're often doing it by flying. And it's really important, I think, that we understand the impact that that has on the environment. So REN not only lets you offset your daily and monthly emissions that you create just within your own home, but also emissions that you might generate if you took a, a big flight, for example. I've left a link to sign up in the show notes. As a real disclaimer, REN hasn't sponsored this show. In fact, we don't have any sponsors on Nudge. I've just called them out because I think they're a decent organisation that some of you might want to use. All right, that is all for this week. Do join me again in two weeks for another episode of Nudge. Cheers.